the volume. Oral Sessions is brought to you by FanDuel. It's never been easier to play fantasy on FanDuel. Whether you love basketball, golf, soccer, or any other fantasy sport, there's a contest for every fan. FanDuel, more ways to win. Hey guys, happy Saturday. I'm assuming that you're listening to us on a Saturday, but maybe you're listening to it on a Sunday, a Monday. Who knows? That was presumptuous of me. But here's what happens on Saturdays. We drop our best of episode of oral sessions. We wrap up the week from Tuesday and Thursday. We do a little mishmash. We combine these two excellent interviews and we give you guys the highlights in case you don't want to listen to both full hours. Maybe you just want the bullet points and I'm okay with that. So long as you're getting what you need and I'm giving you what you need, then we're on the same page. Uh, So we had a hell of a week. I was joined by none other than uh, one of the co-hosts of Spittin' Chicklets on Barstool, Paul Bissonette. Uh, You guys may know him, of course, from his time in the NHL. He's played uh, with the Penguins. He spent a lot of time uh, in Arizona. He's still in Arizona. Big personality out of the NHL. We need more Paul Bissonettes in the world. We truly do. I feel like the NHL gets a bad rap for being a little bit boring. And Paul Bissonette just flips that upside down on its head. Uh, We had a ton of fun hanging out. We talk a ton of Canadian profanity, um, which maybe is mildly less offensive. That's how I like to look at it. Um, We talk about him getting his start with Barstool, of getting involved in the podcasting world, in the media space, how he has been conquering it at every single corner, and also talking about some of the incidents earlier on in Paul Bissonnette's career that forced him to kick himself off of Twitter. Social media can be a very dangerous place in a very slippery slope as he learned early in his career, but he has managed to navigate it quite swimmingly ever since. Uh, You know, you got to have the personality in there, but still be able to keep sponsors happy. Again, very fine line. Biz Nasty knows what's up. And then on Thursday, we had Surat Tan on the show. Um, He is the head costume designer at WWE. I'm not sure if like head costume designer is the word. There's three of them. They're all excellent. Um, Surratt has been in WWE for several years doing the gear of some of your absolute favorite wrestlers from Triple H, Stephanie McMahon, of course, his wife, Sasha Banks. Um, He did Ronda Rousey's gear, Seth Rollins gear. This man does it all. Um, Yeah, we talk about what it's like working with his wife, having Sasha Banks on the road and they're at TVs together. They're collaborating on on costumes together, collaborating on her gear to what it's like watching her in the ring, to being with somebody like Sasha, who is so driven, so passionate about what she does. And for him to be the husband, obviously, I can relate being married to a wrestler myself. So we get into it there. And then, you guys, Surratt has his own shoe coming out. He's paired up with Diodora, with Foot Locker, and he has created this shoe for autism awareness and autism acceptance. And all of the proceeds are going towards uh, autism research and that community. So uh, the whole thing's really, really cool. I mean, he just talks about the design of how he came up with the shoe concept and like the attention to details, just incredible. You guys are really going to love it. And you guys can get a shoe. It drops April 27th at footlocker.com. So check that out. There's only 200 pairs that are available. So get them while they're hot because they're going to go real, real quick. You guys can check them out. Uh, but you can follow him on Instagram and Twitter. I've posted all over my Instagram, but it's at I am Mikazi, M-I-K-A-Z-E. 
follow him, check out the shoe, order a pair. You're not going to want to miss out. All right, guys, without further ado, let's get into it. Here's the two dudes, me hanging out with Paul Bissonette and Surat Tan. Okay, so spit and chiclets. You guys are crushing it, obviously. I mean, that's it's insane. You guys are the number one hockey podcast in the world. What's the success to this? What What is the podcasting success? How do I break into this? In our case, it was just very organic. I played with a guy, Ryan Whitney in Pittsburgh, and he, you know, he was retired at working at the NHL network. And I remember when we were on a PTO together in St. Louis, we talked about uh, doing some type of, uh, I remember the original idea was something on YouTube where we would have show up with the hockey bags into a locker room and we would start getting dressed, but we would never actually go on the ice and we would just crack beers and would let these old stories fly. And I didn't even know what podcasts were. So after that PTO, I ended up going to finish off my career in the American League. He went over to Russia quickly and then retiring, as I mentioned, and he fired out a tweet saying, hey, how about starting a podcast towards me and another guy we played with, Colby Armstrong. And I was still playing at the time. And, and I knew that if I was going to hop on one, I would let it fly. And I didn't, I knew the LA Kings organization was not going to be down with the They banned that, your Twitter, didn't they? No, that was actually my agent who called him and told me to, <laughs> he's like, delete your Twitter account, whatever that even means. Cause he was like, what is Twitter? He's like, nothing good can come of this. That's the only thing he's ever been wrong on, by the way. Shout out Mark guy uh, of Newport <laughs> Sports. But Rear Admiral, one of our co-hosts, he was one of the hockey bloggers. He reached out to it and he's like, hey, I'll start one with you. So they started doing it together, just the two of them. And RA was actually editing it and acting as producer. And they did about 20 episodes. Then Dave Portnoy reached out to Ryan Whitney, asked him, hey, would you want to come on our platform? They joined up. So it was just the two of them. Rear Admiral gets an email one day from some kid named Mike Grinnell saying, hey, if you guys need a producer, I have a mixing board. He saw the email, ignored it because he had his own at the time and he was doing it just fine. And it wasn't at the size of, of it is now. And sure enough, about a week later, they're recording one of their podcasts and RA's mixer breaks. And he went back to that email and reached out to Mike Grinnell, who is now our producer, runs all of our social media. He was a kid when he started and he's grown immensely as far as how much he's helped build it in his ways, merchandise, whatever it may be. And when I retired, I said, hey, let me settle into my Coyotes job and let's talk about me joining up. And sure enough, at the end of my first year in media, I'd already been interviewed a couple of times for the show and I let it fly in my early days, like telling insane stories, which I probably wouldn't say now. <laughs> Got to clean up your act a little bit. Too many yeah, eyes. And, and I think the overall line of social standard has moved. And, and, and luckily, I've been able to adapt with it. Um, well, I'm, I'm flirting it. I mean, they're still trying to, you know, they're trying to cancel me, but I'm, I'm flirting it. What are some of the uh, pressures that one feels being an enforcer in the NHL? Like that seems like a tall order to be like, hey, you got to go out and like punch someone in the face. That's your gig. Yeah, I had a hard time pregame napping, knowing games I was going to play, especially if I knew that the other team had a heavyweight in the lineup. It didn't come natural to me. So I think that over the years, it definitely took its toll mentally. But I, I understood that with my skill level and, and my ceiling as far as where it was, that if I was going to play in the league, that I had to adapt and, and add that to my game. And I was willing to do it. And I don't think that there's a lot of guys out there who had, I guess, enough skill to make it to where adding that would have put them over the edge in order to solidify themselves to at least have somewhat of a decent career. And I was just willing to do that. I wanted to experience the NHL. I was actually a defenseman before I, I got to the NHL. 
you know, at a certain point, what happens is some guys get a little bit stubborn in what they think they are as a player to where they keep getting traded around to where it's like, well, if you don't want to adapt and change some style of your play, the world-class skill in the, in the room for the, in the top six, these guys are, have so much God-given talent and, and they also have the work ethic and they have, they have it all. And if you're unable to adapt and, and start working on these other skills, whether it be you become a good penalty killer and shot blocker and good on face-offs or become very reliable defensively, if you want, if certain guys are going to stay stubborn and they didn't end up playing a game in the NHL, hey, all the power to them. I just knew that the writing was on the wall and that was pretty much the only way that I was going to get there. And yeah, it had its consequences, but you know, it, it's all over now and I'm, I'm grateful that I decided to do it. What do you mean of the consequences? I would say that at the age I was at and given maybe the stresses of, of and not really understanding it at the time, it was more of a like, yes, I have to do this because I'm so hyper-focused on wanting to get to the NHL. Um, just maybe because of the, some, a lot of the stress involved in it, like abusing alcohol, doing drugs, getting sucked into this certain lifestyle that you know I look back on and I don't regret it. My lifestyle was not being managed properly. Am I blaming the fighting for that? No, I just think that I know the emotions and feelings that it was causing and, and, and I gravitated to certain things in order to mask that. Do you still dabble in the marijuanas or I read something about you microdosing mushrooms or something? Are these things that you're into? I smoke cannabis quite a bit. It just, you know, it helps me get creative because I do get to live in this creative world now. Like I do, I've done like silly commercials and I, and I put myself out there maybe more than other people. And, and, you know, sometimes, it, you know, some of these ideas that I do think of stem from, you know, ripping a joint and just sitting around being like, Hey, wouldn't it be stupid to do this? Yeah, I think that'd be funny. Okay, let's go do it. Let's execute it. So there's this big argument as to the, well, some of it's scientifically backed as far as the consequences from head trauma. I would push back on some of the ideologies of it and the fact that I feel that maybe the things that I was masking, whatever I was going through with have caused just as much, if not more, you know, alcohol, like dehydrating your brain as much as we were, we were binge drinking like 30 drinks in a day, getting up and, and, and also with drugs involved and then doing that for four straight days on this bender. You don't even think about it at the time. And then you're, yeah, you're, you're used to feeling like shit at that point. We talked about it earlier, how these wrestlers would do it. So same idea, abusing your body. And instead of getting massage and treating it and eating healthy the right way, you're like, oh, I'll go get banged up. And, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll you know, it won't hurt as much because I'm going to, you know, I'll, I'll be completely distracted from it. So I just found that, that, uh, you know, some days I wake up not feeling so great and, and groggy and, and the mind's not there. and and microdosing and taking mushrooms puts me in a little bit of a happier place. I've always been very curious by that. I mean, I have other friends that do that. Like, how does that, like when you say microdosing and I am like such a like newbie, I don't know anything about it. Is it just a smaller amount? Yeah. I'm not, I'm not trying to see midgets jumping out of trees and, and you know, walking around town. Like, what the hell is going to fall dragon? What the fuck? No, it's, 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 it's a, uh, you get a sense of, of being a little bit more happy in my case. That's my experience with it. And that's what I tell anybody who I'll, I'll describe, you know, what the feelings I, I had going into it, what, how it made me feel. And, and that might vary. Some people hate it. They hate the way they feel when their body goes somewhere else or their mind goes somewhere else. But for me doing small amounts of it, what's the saying nowadays? It's like, I woke up and chose anger. I woke up and chose peace. I, I just tend to, to be happier when I, when I'm on it. 
Do you have like a social anxiety or anything like that, that those kind of help you to open up and be a little more? Smoking weed helps me in public big time. Surprisingly, people expect a certain thing from you at this point as well. So that's got to be a lot of pressure. Remember, like we got a podcast and, and maybe I'm a little bit more recognized in Canada now. Like I'm not like I'm not a celebrity by any means, but anytime somebody comes up, you want their experience to be as, as good as maybe they'd hoped going in. And sometimes maybe you're just, you know, you're, you're in your own head and you're, and you, and you're completely distracted by something that you're going through in your own personal life. And you maybe don't have that energy to give someone, but going into social settings, surprisingly, cannabis helps me. It just helps me be sillier and, and, and interact better with them. But yes, I do suffer from a bit of, of social anxiety. I think it's so bizarre because I just want to live on my podcast and, and tell all these like weird stories and do all this stuff. But I also just want to like walk around and like, I'm a nobody. We talked earlier about social media. You've had to like delete your Twitter account. You've done it multiple times. You've been very successful on social media, but I believe that there's some kind of story about playing in Winnipeg and some kind of tweeting about water or something. What happened? So when I originally told, when my agent told me to delete my Twitter account, he said nothing good could come of it. The team was getting emails from fans saying, why are you censoring this guy? And they assumed that the team had me delete it. Well, they reached out and they're like, are you telling people this? I said, no, my agent wanted me to do it. So finally I ended up popping back on Twitter and Instagram. But with that, they said, we want to monitor it. I must've got called in five or six times by the general manager or the team PR guy being like, Hey, what's this? And in one of the cases we got to Winnipeg and we were staying at the Fairmont and they had a, a eight or $9 bottle of Fiji water in the room. And you know, it's like, they're gouging you at that point. I know this thing didn't cost nine bucks. Come on. So I t- posted a picture of it on Instagram and I was like, I, I think I wrote a uh, fuck off Fairmont and I tagged Fairmont the next morning all good, go to the rink, you know, big game tonight back in Winnipeg. Cause that's where the team ended up coming from. I get the word that I'm not playing. So I get skated afterward, but I do notice that I'm getting skated a little bit harder. And, and, and I did notice that the coach came out afterward to talk to our assistant. And that's why I got skated harder than normal. So after we got, I got done my bag skate, the coach, the assistant goes, Hey, tip wants to see you. So right away, my heart goes from here to in my gut. So I get in the coach's office and there's smoke coming out of his ears and he goes, sit down. And he's like, what the is this? And I look at the monitor and it's the bottle of Fiji. And he goes, the Fairmont is threatening us to kick us out of the hotel on the day of the game because you're going at them online here. So not only am I a completely useless player, I'm not even playing in the game that day and I'm jeopardizing my team getting a pregame nap day of the game because I wanted to spout off on social media the day before. F off with that expensive ass Fiji water. Give us a break. I'm a man of the people and that's why I said it. Okay, Renee? You are the voice of the voiceless. But at the end of the day, I probably shouldn't have done it. And it was just another example of me getting ahead of my skis in the social media world. I'll give you one other quick one. So I ended up going to Vegas for one of the all-star breaks. One of my teammates at the time, this is just past New Year, he'd sent me like a meme and it was happy new year and cocaine lines and, and somebody snorting it. And it was just like, oh, you know, ha ha. I was running around Vegas and this is, I think in the midst of when all this Charlie Sheen stuff became a thing. And I had a Blackberry at the time and I didn't lock my screen. And somehow it had opened up my Twitter and went to that picture and it just kept reposting the picture. What? I get a phone call from our PR guy being like, like, what is going on? 
obviously I didn't mean to post it and would have never posted that. But fortunately enough, it had posted it so many times where everybody was like, oh, obviously he got hacked. Thank God. Ran with that. Ended up, you know, logging in, deleting all the, all the photos or whatever. Like, cause, cause at, at that point I was having a hard time deleting all the photos on my Blackberry it wasn't deleting. So I had to go to a computer at the hotel, log in, delete all that. And, and those were just the silly, stupid things along the way that I find myself in these, in these crazy situations, but the needle has definitely moved and I've, I'm far more tame now on social media than I was before. Let's talk about your shoe. Dude, you have a shoe. This is amazing. Give me the whole rundown because the whole thing's fascinating to me. I mean, I've been following it on your social media, waiting for the big launch. It's all happening like right now. I actually got the go ahead to unveil the launch date. So it's actually releasing super limited quantities next week, April 27th. I did it in conjunction with Foot Locker, Foot Action, Champ Sports, and Diodora. The model is the Diodora N9002. Basically, it's to help bring awareness to autism. Essentially, with the design, what I tried to do is I tried to bring forth two sides of a personality. So if you look at the front, it's kind of a black and white motif. But then on the back, it's, you know, has the the multicolored puzzle pieces and it's black, yellow, a little more lively. And that represents like the the exciting part of a person's personality. And uh, one of my favorite elements of this is if you can see... On the, the toe box, uh, you see the white leather is actually embossed with puzzle pieces. And because we did that, you know, they embossed the leather and then they cut it out. No two shoes are alike. So essentially every single shoe is a one of one. Wow. To me, that represents, you know, the cause really well because, you know, every person with autism, every person in general is so unique that like, yeah, that's what the shoe represents. It's very unique. Inside on the insole, I put a footprint. When I was designing this, I thought of my brother-in-law, Joshua, a lot because Joshua is autistic. And he is a good kid. Like He's awesome. And so like one of the things I did was um, whenever he puts his shoes on, he never unties them. He always keeps them tied and just tries to slide them in. So I ended up changing the fabrics to a mesh and neoprene. It'll make it easier for someone like him to throw the shoe on. So to have a project like this brought to you, I mean, how does that whole collaboration work? What, how, like, what is the timeline on putting together a shoe and kind of etching everything out. They brought this to my attention probably around like November. They gave me a schematic of what the shoe was going to look like. And I just went through, I selected the materials, I selected the design elements and all these different things. They sent it out to this company called Garrickson out of um, Philly. And they created the mock-up or the prototype, sent that to me. I had to approve all the different things, change whatever I needed to change. And then it goes back to them. And once it gets all of approval, it takes about like two or three months to go into manufacturing. What does limited quantity mean? How many pairs? Do we know a number? So right now it's going to be probably about 200 pairs. Is it going to be one of those annoying things everyone's like posting online of like, couldn't get these, everything sells out so quick, like bidding more stuff? I hope not. But at the same time, I kind of hope so, because if there is that rabid, you know, uh, tendency to want to get at your hands on a pair, that's just going to show that something like this is able to go to scale next time. We can make it bigger. Like we can do maybe 2000 shoes next time, 20, I don't know the sizing, but like they're going to be available April 27th at footlocker.com. 
footaction.com and champsports.com. There's actually also not just the shoes, but I designed a t-shirt to go with it. Do people buy the shirt separately or do they come with the shoes? Uh, I believe they're going to be sold separately. So if, you know, for those who maybe don't, can't get their hands on a pair of shoes, maybe they can also, you know, grab up a shirt. 100% of the proceeds are going to Autism Speaks. No one's taking any money on this. This is literally just to help spread the message. It would be hope that if this project goes well, next year we do something even bigger. When I see this shoe on someone's feet, like I want it to be a conversation starter. I want someone to be walking saying, oh, that's an autism shoe. What's your connection with autism? And it just starts a conversation. Are you working in conjunction with the shoe that Ron Funches is doing as well? While I was designing this, John at Foot Locker asked me, do you know anyone else who would want to jump in on this project? And immediately I said, Ron Funches. Fun fact, I had never met Ron before. Oh, really? Maybe an interaction here too on Twitter because he's a huge wrestling fan or whatnot. But yeah, nothing. But I just, I hit him up on DMs on Twitter. I said, hey, I'm working on this project with Foot Locker, blah, 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 autism. Like if I sent them to you, would you be interested in working on it? I had no idea he was a sneakerhead. And the fact he's able to put his name on a sneaker is amazing. Yeah. And like you said, it's like just it's having those conversations and using that platform. I mean, for us to be able to have a conversation about it here and spread more awareness. Uh, you know, I've seen clips of him talking to James Corden, being on his show, helping to promote it as well. And yeah, I think just having that open dialogue and having that conversation is so important. And yeah, just so that the the cause of it does not get lost in the background of just like, I need this shoe because so-and-so's name's on it. Or I just like the way that it looks. It's like really looking at the details and the intricacies of what you've put into it. I mean, you obviously put so much thought behind it. It's it's really, really cool. Speaking of like, one of the things is on the Diodora logo, I use the 3M reflective. To me, that kind of represents like, we need to be seen. Um, okay. So my question for you to be on the reverse of what I have been through, what is it like being married to a female wrestler with a fan base like one of Sasha Banks? Scary at times. It's scary because a lot of those things, you you have to understand that they come with the territory. The amount of people that hit me up online, just talking trash. You don't deserve her. You're ugly. It's dust off my shoulder. I honestly could care less. If I see something creative and like a really creative insult, I'll I'll clap at that. I had had someone tell me that my head was too big or my head was too large for my body. And (laughs) I just started laughing. I was like, that's actually a really creative insult. When it, when it comes to like, you know, Mercedes, like in ring, like it can be scary at times because like that girl is just so passionate about what she does. She takes it so seriously. And like, she wants to be the best match of the night, every single night. And I can respect that because I was a wrestler too. It's scary watching it, but I understand that mentality. And I just, some, you, you, sometimes you can't handcuff someone. You have to let her do her and be her. Otherwise she's not going to be happy with what she's in. If she's not happy with it, that's when things can get scary. And that's where injuries can happen. So sometimes you just got to put faith in that person and trust them. Do you guys butt heads? It's got to be hard working with your wife trying to come up with a plan. She's a very visual person. Like she, like she needs to be shown and stuff like that. Where me, I can look at two pieces of fabric. I'm like, okay, I know exactly how this is going to go. Like, I don't need anything else. I can look at an empty space and be like, all right, chair's going to go there. That's going to go there. It's going to be good. But she's just a very like visual person. So she needs to see something that's going to show her what it might look like. That sounds like you have to redo a lot of things. That seems like a lot of work of like, here's what I've done. And then if she wants to scrap it. 
you would think that would happen more, but nine out of 10 times, we're usually right on the same page where I get done. And she's like, oh, this is awesome. This looks great. There was one time where I got reamed out by her. <laughs> to this day, it's one of my favorite sets, but she hates it so much. Which one is it? Navy green and yellow set that she wore for money in the bank. The money in the bank that uh, Ember did the crossbody and she took the, the bump on the ladder. So what happened was she really wanted to do something royal for that one. And so we ordered this fabric and got it all set. And all of a sudden the fabric came in and it just did not look like the way we needed it to. So I had like a week left. I'm like, I just got to go with what I have on my, my shelves. I love it because it looks so good on her skin tone and it pops so well, but it just, it wasn't what she wanted. And I heard about it for <laughs> a long time. And if you notice, she's never worn it again. What was the inspo behind um, her WrestleMania gear this year? Because dare I say, it's my favorite Sasha Banks gear. So the inspiration behind it was, uh, there's this designer out there. His name is Zygman. If you'd, if you'd look at his stuff and then you look at it, you'd see the, the inspiration. But she's been enamored with his stuff for so long. I know he's done stuff for like Cardi B and Nicki Minaj and all this stuff. So like she really wanted to go in that direction. So I was like, all right, let's do that. That way we use a, had a lot of those crisscrossing straps in there. I wanted to do something that was just completely different than what she normally had so that it took everybody by surprise. And like everybody nowadays, not nowadays, but lately has been doing the, uh, the lacing going up the kick pad. So like I wanted to do that in a way that wasn't like everyone else. So I did that, but I also had the crystals going down the middle and uh, I had her name plate on the side, just changing it up a little bit. I just, I literally wanted to be like, that's not what she usually wears. No, I mean, you guys hit that on the head. Cause I was like, oh girl, what is happening here? It was amazing. And that- it was hard though. Putting all those grommets in one at a time, you put it together, but I can't put the grommets on until I do the crystalline and I can't do the crystalline until I get this on. And I got, it's a process. All right, guys, thanks for hanging out with me again. Hopefully you guys liked the best of episode. Gave you guys a little something, some a little mishmash from both uh, of my previous interviews from this week. Hopefully you liked it. And hey, if you want to go back and you wanted a little more Paul Bissonette and you wanted a little more Surratt, both of those interviews are up on iTunes, on Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you guys listen to podcasts, you guys can go and get the full length there. And we're also going to have all the videos up on YouTube between myself and the volume. You can find my YouTube. Uh, just search my name, Renee Paquette, likewise for the volume. And you can like, subscribe, subscribe, get on that subscribe list, please. And thank you. We've been growing quite steadily. So I've been really, really happy with the way things are going. I love reading your guys' comments and being able to just like communicate with you guys in that YouTube space is really, really cool for me. So I see all of the, I see all those comments that you guys are leaving on there and I super, super appreciate it. It's a really great space. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Renee Paquette. Follow the volume at the volume sports on Twitter and Instagram. Check out some of their other podcasts and enjoy it. Get your ear holes filled with some good sports content. We got you guys covered. All right, guys. See you next week. This has been oral sessions. The best of. (laughs) 